So um, I want to uh, first of all welcome everybody back and thank everybody for sponsoring this morning. Um, this shear is about Mashiach, and I, th- and I think it actually worked out very perfectly that um, Mashiach is going to be discussed during the week of, um, of Tisha B'Av. So this is, this is how we prepare for Tisha B'Av, is to learn about Mashiach. I want to thank um, the sponsors. I want to thank first of all Mr. Anshul Weiss for sponsoring Le'ilu Nishmas Hinda Abbas Menachem Mendel for um, his wife, um, whose uh, who's, uh, who's Shana we are in right now. Also, um, I want to thank David, uh, David Foy, who's sponsoring Le'ilu Nishmas Nachman Zev Ben Shimon for your father's yard sites, which should be Le'ilu Nishmasai. Um, also, um, we're, we're learning today um, this year is sponsored by Moshe and Paula Weinstein, the Ilu Nishmas, Paula's brother, on the second yard site, which will be following Tishabav this week. Yitzchak ben Mordechai Halevi, also Limut should be the Ilu Nishmasai. Also, we're going to be learning um, this, this week, Lurifua Shlema, Chana, Rachel, Bas, Menucha, Chasi, Fega. That's Evan's wife's daughter, who's unfortunately in a coma right now, and it's a shame we should, we should hear better news. Um, and um, also, um, we're going to be we're on, the, on the happier side of things by uh, Alan Wexelbaum for the upcoming marriage of Jonathan this, this Thursday. It's good to have in the nine days something to look forward to. And uh, to Mr. Bird Wexelbaum, to the entire Wexelbaum Mishpacha, who are going to be celebrating this beautiful Simcha. Amen. 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 Dr. Honeyman, we're going to hold off for this week? For next week. Okay, so Dr. Honeyman will. will be on for next week for the art side. And let's begin. So here we go. Mashiach, this is the most misused, the most, mis- m- most abused, the most misunderstood of all the fundamentals of faith. Mashiach. This, this Ikar is, is the one which has the most songs written about it. This, this Ikar is the one which has the most people and, and colorful people in Jewish history associated with it. This is a very unusual Ikar um, and has garnered a lot of... Um, a lot of a lot of uh, um, good and negative press throughout history. So let's start at the very beginning. At the very very beginning itself, um, we are going to do the following. Um, I just want to mention that last week we we, we learned the Ilu Nishmas Yonatan Aryeh. Just um, for, uh, for the uh, for the Adlers, that was last week's shared that they weren't yet to to be here in person for it. Alimut uh, continues to be Ilu Nishmas for the Chizuk of the entire Mishpacha. Um, the Ramam tells us, and I think rather than even learning the Ramam first, let's learn what we all know and we all sing. And that is Animamin, right? We're not going to break out into it right now. We'll have an opportunity at the end for those who are interested. But Animamin Bemuna Shalema, Bevia Samashiach, I believe with a, in full faith that there will be the coming of the Messiah. And even though um, he may delay, I will, um, I will still wait for him every day that he shall arrive. That's, the, that's what we know. Those are the words that have rung true throughout um, many, many stages and dark stages of history. I remember that, you know, famously at the end of, um, at the, end of the fiddle on the roof, Motel turns to the rabbi. And although the rabbi is portrayed as a very weak and, uh, and silly individual throughout the fiddle on the roof, as is once from a particular perspective of society, as framed in the fiddle on the roof. But at, this, well, at one point he says, uh, he says that he does say a comment which is pretty meaningful. And Motel turns to the rabbi and says, and this is as they receive the order that the, the, the Tsar's government has, has requested, um, to put it nicely, that the Jews leave Anatevka. Motel says, Rabbi, we've been waiting for Mashiach all our lives. Wouldn't it now be a good time for him to come? Yeah. 
And the rabbi said, well, maybe we'll have to wait for him somewhere else. And, uh, you know, the, the, it's been the, the, the belief which has accompanied us throughout all our very bumpy rides throughout Jewish history. The Rambam describes it in more detail when he does, when it, well, this is actually him talking in a Pirish Mishnah. So here's how he says it himself. The twelfth fundamental of faith is the days of the Messiah. And that means to say to believe. And to ratify. That he will come. And don't, don't say that, you know, he's going to, he, he, he'll be late. Because even if he comes, he, he tarries a little bit, we will still wait for him. But don't, don't, don't give him a time. Don't put him on your, on your calendar. Don't read the Psukim of the Torah and say, I worked out exactly when he is possibly coming. The Chachomim say that, you know, we should sort of, you know, cover over the, the minds of those who, are, um, who, are, who work out the end, the end of days. It's not a good thing. And we should believe, um, we should believe in him. And we should play, pray to Hashem that he should come. In, in correlation to what all the prophets had said to us. From the first prophet of Moshe to the last prophet of Malachi. The person who jokes about this, the person who denies this, is as if denying the Torah. There are explicit um, um, descriptions of Dorach Koychov Miyakov, the explicit descriptions of, um, of the expectation of Mashiach. And he says, part of this, this is interesting, the Rambam adds in, and we believe that the Messiah has to be a direct descendant of David or Solomon. I believe he gets this from the bracha of Yehuda that Yaakov gives. So the, the description of the bracha of Yaakov apparently believes is, is the Mashiach, the Messiah sticks to, uh, to uh, the, the children of, of David. Now just as an, as an aside, interestingly enough, what does the word Mashiach actually mean? <laughs> the, the anointed one. And therefore if you read Tanakh, there were many Mashiachs, right? David Amelech was the Mashiach Hashem. He was the anointed one of Hashem. Shaul Amelech was the Mashiach Hashem. These are people who are called, called Mashiach because a prophet anointed them to be the Mashiach. So when we talk about Mashiach, we mean a continuation of that process, of the process of the anointed one of God, the person that Hashem wanted to be king. As we sing every Friday night at the end of Davening, Yishlach, in the Gigdal, Yishlach locates Hayyamin. At the end of days, God will send Mashiachenu, our um, our Messiah, lift us, aside to redeem those who are waiting for the end in His salvation. Great. So this is this is where this is the starting point. This is the basic fundamentals. There's a lot of questions I'd like to think about with uh, with uh, with uh, with you together. What I did was I, I I sat down with a blank page, and I I said to myself, what are the questions I would like to know about this before reading the the, the material, and then try to try to see um, how they address. So there's a few questions I'd like to address with you. Number one is where did the Raman pull this out of? Number two is, when will Mashiach come? Yes, work, folks, we're going to work it out right now, right here. Um, we're going to work out a little bit um, 
are, let me just see, there's a few, uh, a few other major questions that I'd like to address with you, and they are, I'm sorry, I just, I've been working off two different sources here, um, the order of arrival, um, how, will, how will it work what will, when, when he comes, um, then we're going to talk a little bit about false messiahs as well in that, in that, uh, in that regard, a few other questions are, um, will it be miraculous, will it be natural, can there be multiple Mashiachs, and why is it so important to us? So these are some of just the questions just to think about, like why the, the significance of Mashiach. So let's start off at the beginning. Where did the Rambam pull this out of? Remember, the Rambam is not inventing the Yugin or The Rambam is codifying the axioms of faith. So where does he codify this from? Where do we have indications that there is this notion of a Messiah? That there is this, this end of days period? Where did he know that from? Right, so one of the, one of the things is that, uh, not exactly so, Yaakov Avinu tries to tell it to his sons. So we know that as Yaakov Avinu is on his deathbed, he says in the 49th chapter of Bereshis, So he says, I want to tell you what's going to happen. This is the end of days. See how folks is the blueprint. And what happens? He doesn't say anything. Apparently HaKadosh Baruch Hu says it's not, it's not the right time or to, uh, to talk about the end of days. And the end is nistalko mimin arkates. The end is taken away, and there's various reasons as to why the end was taken away from him. Nonetheless, Yaakov Vino was very clear that he wanted to talk about this notion of Acharis Hayom, the end of days. If we go from Yaakov Vino trying to reveal it, um, the one, the one of the places to look is is the last time we had prophecy, meaning to say like this: we today know what Hashem wants simply because we look into the Torah, we try to expound the truths and apply them to the very dark and confusing world that we have. So it would make sense that if we wanted to understand what was very important for us, for us in today's day and age, we should go back to a time where Hashem was speaking to us as a last send-off. When there were no longer going to be prophets, there was no longer going to be divine messages, that's when the time where Hashem would talk about the important things to get us through exile, right? So who is the last of all the prophets that we have codified? That is Malachi, right? Because remember Nevi'im, the Tanakh is divided into three sections. Torah, Nevi'im, Exodim. The last section of Nevi'im is a section called Treyasar, which is the 12 books. Which, and the last of those 12 books is Malachi. Right? Malachi is only three chapters long. They're, they're usually shorter um, prophets. Uh, um, they're, called, they're called the minor prophets. They weren't minor by any, by, any, by any stretch of the imagination. They were very major prophets. They happen to have had shorter books. right? So, the, so it's a, a mistranslation. So the Malachi is the last of the prophets. He is attributed in the Gemara to be, in fact, Ezra himself. That is one of the opinions. And he was really the, one of the people living at the beginning of the second base of Megdash. And he tells us in the last chapter, this is what he says. As we, as we sing or, um, and as we say on Shabbos Agoro, in source 3, Now, everybody makes a mistake here. They say Eliyahu. He doesn't say Eliyahu. He says Eliyah. Right? He's missing a Vov. Um, the, the Rashi explains that the Vav that's missing from Eliyahu is taken by Yaakov Avinu. There's five times in Tanakh where Yaakov Avinu has a Vav in his name, only, um, where between the Kuf and the Beis, there's an extra Vav, and there's five times where Eliyahu is missing the Vav. It's Yaakov Avinu is what Rashi calls Mashkon. It's his collateral that Eliyahu should come to his children. Interestingly enough, right, relating to, of course, to Yaakov Avinu being the one who wanted to reveal when this would happen. Um, so he, uh, Hashem says, I'm going to send to you Eliyah HaNavi before the day, the awesome day of the, of, of the Lord. Awesome not in the sense of theme park. Um, awesome in terms of terrifying. Um, and he will return into generational connections. 
Pen avoy v'hikesi yasoaretz cherem nesta destroy the land. Now that's the way that Tanakh ends, which is why we repeat the second last pasuk again because we don't want to end with the word destruction, right? So this is this is what Malachi says. The last send off is, folks, remember his coming. He's coming before the great day, before the terrifying day. We talked about this Eliyahu. We're going to have to think about how Eliyahu relates to Mashiach. Does he bring Mashiach? Does he come before Mashiach? What does he herald in? How does it relate to the battles around that time? We have to think about some of these, some of these issues. Nonetheless, this is what Malachi tells us. The Gomorrah tells us in, San, in, in Shabbos that um, if we want to know, this is, this is what all kids ask. I teach ninth grade. So the, the, the kids always say, Rabbi, can't you tell us what's going to be on the final? I'm like, well, no, um, but um, the, that, that's not how finals generally work. Um, but in, in, imagine that we could say to our Baruch Hu, Hashem, tell us what's on the final. Hashem says, for sure, I'll tell you the questions. It's very easy. So this is a very important time, you see, because if a student gets the answers to the final, that's a good indication that you should start studying for those questions, right? Fair, qu- fair logic. So Gmarin Shabbos tells us what we're going to be asked when we go up to heaven. So these are some of the questions we should be studying, right? So the Gemara tells us in Shabbos, At the time that a person comes in front of the, the heavenly courts, they ask him, Did you deal honestly in business? So that's one question we're going to have to answer. Did you fix time for Torah study? Did you try? Did you try to have children and bring up children? Did you wait for salvation? Did you, did you study wisdom? Did you understand a matter from a matter? That's a very fascinating what that, what that means, what these two last ones mean. But nonetheless, one of the questions on that list, it's a very short list of questions, is Did you wait for salvation? That, uh, folks, there's 13 axioms of faith. Not all of them are asked about. Right? They aren't saying, well, did you believe in God? Well, that's, that's sort of, I guess, a prerequisite. Over here, one of the questions that we're asked when we get to Shalom is, were you waiting? So this is, this is a very, very primary part of our faith. Did you wait or, were, did, or did we build? Did we, did we put not lots of furniture in, our, in the prosdor, in the hallway? Right? That's the question that we're going to be asked. Um, as we say many times in daily prayers, one of the 19 brachas of Shona Esra is Tzemach David. We say, Tzemach David Avdochamero Satzmiach. Hashem, please bring about the David, the and arise or bring about the, the rising of his of his keren, of his uh, horn or his pride of salvation. because we wait for your salvation all the day. What's the word semach mean literally? Semach literally means growth, right? But it's interesting to know that if you read through Tanakh, semach is also the name of Mashiach. If you read through Zephyr Zechariah, again one of the later, oh, there's, right, ah, there's a person called Avdi Tzemach. There's a person called my servant Tzemach, who is the name of the Messiah. So when we talk about it, Tzemach David Satzmiach, every day we're, we're saying, uh, this is not just that we need to have Davidic rule. This is Mashiach we're talking about every day. The word Tzemach itself is the code word for that. Right, so every day we're talking about this. It's in our liturgy. It's in our, it's, it's in our Torah Shabbat Peh. It's in our Torah Shabbat Peh. It's everywhere we look is Mashiach. So the Rambam, the Rambam is not being mechadesh. The Rambam is not you know, clarifying or introducing new concepts. He's simply codifying what is really talked about throughout all the prophets, as he points out, um, and uh, um, as one of our, the fundamentals of our belief. And so the, 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 the famous question, of course, is, so when will Mashiach come? Well, well, if we knew this, well, if we knew this, Jewish history will be a little different, which is why maybe we don't know it. Um, the Gemara tells us a very specific description as to when Mashiach will come. The Gemara says that I would argue this is one of the most famous Gemaras. I know everybody says they've got a famous Gemara. This Gemara, I believe, is the most famous Gemara. 
that people that, that people are aware of. And that is Omar Rabbi Alexandri. Rabbi Alexandri says in Sanhedrin Tzadikhes Amal Aleph, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi Rami, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, asked the contradiction, Ksiv Yeshayahu, when talking about Mashiach says, Bi'ita, it'll come at its expected time. Uksiv, and it's also written, Achishena, I will bring it, I will hasten it. So, um, so how does that work? Is it coming at its correct time, or is it coming at the time which is, which is earlier? Am I going to hasten it? Zachu, if we have the schus, if we merit it, Achishena, it will be brought early. Loi Zachu, if we do not merit it, um, it will come at its, at, at its correct time. This is, a, this is a very famous concept, which that means to say that there are two time frames for Mashiach. One is, we'll call it the default time frame. Everything will revert to default if we don't necessarily um, um, merit it. And then there's option B, which is, we bring it forward ourselves. Actually, we'll call that option A, because that's the, that's the preferred method, methodology. This is a very, very, very important rule. This, 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 this division over here, our description, for a, for, a simple, for a simple reason. There are many different descriptions of our Mashiach. So I'm sure that people are familiar that there are certain limitations and restrictions as to when Mashiach can come. Somebody was speaking to, to me about this yesterday. There's a Gemara which says the Mashiach can't come on Shabbos. So the Mashiach won't come on Friday as well. There's, there's Gemaras which talk about how Mashiach will come in Nisan. There's numerous, numerous Gemaras which talk about all the different times Mashiach can, will, won't come. So the Farshim will say, well, that's true only if it's the Mashiach in option B, Be'ita, if Mashiach comes at the right time. Achishena, if it comes early, it can come any moment. It doesn't make a difference when, what day, what month. That's what the Mepharshim say. This is very important. That means to say that if we trigger it, if we're able to trigger Mashiach coming, it's going to come at any point that we're able to bring it. This is important because I think sometimes in our minds we say, ah, you know what, it's Shabbos today, right? <laughs> uh, I made a good challenge. Let's, you know, maybe tomorrow will be better, right? But in the end of the day, no. There's, there's the opportunity of every moment being Mashiach. That's in the, the, the realm of Achishana. Um, as, as an aside, when is the Ita? <laughs> when is, the, when, when is the, the default time? Right, so the Gemara says pretty explicitly that, that, it's, that the default time would be at the end of the 6,000 years. Folks, in our counting system, we are... 5777, we're almost in 5778, which means to say that we have 222 years essentially left till the Be'ita, if our counting is correct. Happens to be that there are, there is a little bit of confusion as to our counting, so we're not going to even, we're not going to even give the rabbi stamp to the Be'ita, because there is a period of time during the second base of the Mikdash, where there was a, well, there was a, there was a little shift in time, where the... Right, so there was a time of 150, 200 years of shift there as well for, uh, for very, very fascinating reasons as to why the count of Chazal and the count of his archaeological history differs somewhat. And many very, very learned people, Shimon Schwab talks about this, talks about the difference in, in scales. We're not going to go into the specifics over here, but it could mean that we're a little closer. But folks, let's not wait. Let's not, it's, not, it's not worth waiting. Um, Great. Okay. Good. So wait, wait, we're going to get into all the counters in a second. Yeah. We the, the round. We're going to. We're, that's the round. That's a classic. Okay. Very powerful. Hundred percent. And then the round says, "Don't count it." He doesn't even mention that. Hundred percent. So we're going to get into. We're going to get. Everybody count to the end. Everybody gave a number. We're going to get there in a second. Okay. So um. Now, what will be the order of arrival? Just to just to give an appreciation of how hazy 
This, this, this appears. The Rambam talks about Mashiach at the very, very end of his halachic work called the Yad. His 14 books, Yud Dalad, his 14 books of the Mishnah Torah at the end of Hilchos Melachim. At the end of Kings, the of Kings, because the end of Kings is talking about the King of the Messiah, of course, naturally. Right? So the, the Rambam says in Source 7, this is in Yud um, Perik Yud Beis, the last chapter, Halacha Beis. Omru Chachomim, Ein Bein Ha'olam Azeli Mosa Mashiach, Elot Shibul Malchios Bilvad. Um, there's no difference between now and then. We're going to discuss that in a moment. Ex- um, between the, this world and the Mash- times of Mashiach, except for the servitude of the nations. He says the Rambam, the, the, the times of the Messiah will be introduced by the war of Gog and Magog. Those aren't two people, one is the king, one is the country. Right? There's going to be this horrific apocalyptical war which is described in Yechezkel and Yeshayahu. This description in Zechariah of, um, um, of this end of time war and it's going to, that's how Mashiach will start. And before that time, there will be a prophet who is going to uh, arise and going to try to bring people back to where they should be. So that's the way he understands the Pasuk in Malachi. There's going to be this terrible war, but that's going to be preceded by Mashiach or this person called Eliyahu who's going to now rectify the world. He's not going to come to change the status of things. He's not going to try and make things or change the status of people's Yechusim. His function will be to create peace. So now that sounds pretty clear, right? The timeline is pretty clear at this point in time, according to the Rambam. By the way, there have been many, many who have tried to attribute when the Gogogogogog is. World War I, World War II. There's been many people who have just decided at different times that that could have been were terrible enough for it to have been the war of Gog and Magog. Not so clear because the, it does this, the, 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 the prophets are pretty clear that the war of Gog and Magog will take place in Israel, right? So, so it's not so clear. There have been many people who have who've uh, pointed in different ways to this, but nonetheless, the, the descriptions, which the terrifying descriptions in Zechariah and in Echezkel sound like they're in Israel. They sound, um, unfortunately, if you, if you read it carefully in the splitting apart of Harazesim, it sounds like a terrible, terrible war of nuclear proportions, Rahman al-Islan, meaning when you, read, when you read those descriptions. He says, So he says that some people say, that uh, before Mashiach comes, then Eliyahu will come. So Eliyahu will be separate to Mashiach, he'll be the, pre- the precursor. So already the Rambam is, is indicating that it's not so clear. And therefore the Rambam concludes, We're not going to know how they're going to happen until they happen. This is the kind of thing where we're not supposed to spend too much time trying to work out and choreograph the, exact, the exactitudes. And um, these, uh, the, 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 these are closed matters. When you read the Nevi'im, so when you read the Prophets, it's not exactly sure what they're saying. There's contradictory verses. And, And there's no tradition to these matters. Okay, that means to say that, that we're, we're dabbling in the dark. Rather than based on the way they understand the Psukim, so we're left in the dark. says the Ramam, therefore, there, that's why there's so many disputes. These are not central parts of Jewish, the Jewish religion. 
ולא אולם לא יסעסק אדם בדברי הגדוס ולא יארך במדרש שסעמורים בעניינים האלו We shouldn't spend too long, that's why the shir today is only 45 minutes Right, um, so we're not going to spend too much time on this Nonetheless, it is important to understand this because unfortunately there are many fallacies which surround this. But the Rambam says, look, we're not going to really understand this until we get there. And it's not going to be very helpful to us if we spend all our time trying to work out then rather than trying to work out now because the now actually helps us get to the then. So it's better to work out the now and then the then will come rather than trying to work out the then without having prepared the now. That's the way the Rambam describes it. So, so the, this, is the, this is the way the, the, Rambam, the Rambam looks at it. Nonetheless, already even in the Rambam, and the Rambam, the Rambam is usually pretty, pretty clear. The Rambam doesn't usually have numerous opinions, right? He doesn't usually quote, he, Rambam is pretty decisive about the way he paskins halacha and what things will be. The Rambam is, is a little bit hazy when it comes to this. He's not, it's not clear, uh, even in the Rambam as he describes it, what's going to really be. And he says that's why we should really, you know, give it, give it, give it time um, to, to see how it's going to happen. So what about calculating the end? So it's a very good point. What about calculating the end? So the Gemara itself talks about numerous counts that were made as to when the end would be. Numerous of the greats, great, the great Tanaim, the rabbis of the Mishnah, who worked out when the end would be. The Gemara talks about, um, in an example, in Sanhedrin, the whole section, this is the end of what's called Perak Chelek, the 11th chapter in the Gemara of Sanhedrin, talks about a lot of these issues, and around the Daf, Tzadi Zayin, Tzadi Ches, Tzadi Tes, is where a lot of the sugyas of Mashiach arise. And he says, Sholach lei Reuchanon bar Tachlif ala Rav Yosef, in source 8, Motsasi Adam Echad uviyod Megila Achas, Ksuva Ashuris, Oloshon Kodesh, so Rabbi Tachlifa has found, Reuchanon bar Tachlifa has found this document, which is written in an ancient script, um, and Hebrew, and he says, I said to him, Where did you get this? So he says, I extracted it from the, from the, the, the troves of Rome, right? So, pre, you know, probably predating the destruction of the, of the Migdash. Um, he is able to access this, this parchment. It says in it, <laughs> The world will end after, um, uh, what's the number? 4,000 years, 4,292 years. Right from, from the creation, which happens to be in our count, the year 531, 1,500 years ago. And so the, he has this description that... Um, that, uh, that it was at this point in time. Skipping a line, Rav Acha Braderova Omar, Lacher Chamesha Salafim Shonon Itamar. No, it wasn't about that particular, it was after 5,000 years. So he has a different opinion as to when it would be. So these different descriptions as to, uh, as to when Mashiach can come. The Gemara goes on to, des- to describe a very, a very uh, enigmatic pasuk in, in, um, in Chabakuk, which seems to indicate that it's going to be, the, the Meshach is going to be a complicated time. It's not going to be clear when it's going to be. The Apostle in Chavakuk says, Ki oid chazon lamo'ed, another time, there'll be for the appointed time. V'yofeach lakeitz v'leachazev. We're going to uh, look forward, it's going to uh, testify for this ending day, and it won't, it won't be deceived. Im yisma'amea this is where the Raman gets his, his expression from. And if it will de- be delayed, wait for it. Ki voyovoy lo ya'acher, it will surely come and won't be delayed. And the Gomorrah goes to a list of all the people who actually worked it out. And the Gomorrah says, unlike all of these people, unlike the, uh, unlike the rabbis who darshaned the psukim in Daniel, which had a, a conglomeration of um, till the time, time, and half a time, which is the time of the first base of Middash, the time of the second base of Middash, and half another time, which is 400, 400, and 200. 
and there's a there's a whole cheshbon on that based on how long that should be. Twelve, uh, you know, after the the destruction, twelve hundred years maybe. Which um, there, there's another Rebbe Rebbe Simlai. Rebbe Simlai had another description. He had a description of what this, this notion of a third would be and a third of time and how you divide up a third of time. Not like Rebbe Akiva. Why, why, not like Rebbe Akiva. When did Rebbe Akiva predict the end? He, he assumed that Bar Kochwa was in fact the Mashiach. So the, there was numerous of the Tanaim who said they worked out when Mashiach would be. The Gemara says, unlike all of them. And the Gemara concludes by saying, That we don't, we don't spend time looking at the end. At the last line of the Gemara, What's the problem with calculating the end, says the Gemara? What's going to happen is you're going to calculate the end, and you're going to arrive at the year, as we arrived at many, many, many years, and we'll say, that's it. We'll throw in the tile now, that's it. We, we are waiting, and we put all our eggs in that basket, and that's it. So the Gemara says it's not a good psychological thing to do. But nonetheless, the Gemara describes many, many people who did, right? And in fact, post-Gemara, many, many more people did it. Rav Sadia Goan had a specific had a specific time that he that he predicted, and in fact, it passed during the days of Rashi. And Rashi talks about this, and there were numerous numerous people throughout all generations. More recently, in fact, just 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 a few years ago, Tafshin Ayin Hay, two years ago, was a year which um, I, I believe Rav Rav Shor predicted. No, Rav Wilson. So Rav, Rav Wilson predicted would be the Mashiach based on the based on the Psukim in, in Parshas Parshas. Um, I think uh, Pekude. Right. Um, there, there's there's numerous numerous. Uh, uh, there, there was the year the, the year in fact um, the year Tafshin Samach the year um, five seven six zero which is 140 years sorry 240 years from there for towards the end based on a Midrashin Parshas Noach. There were numerous numerous des- uh, descriptions throughout all of history. So what happens? You know, like meaning, do they not read this Gemara? Do they not know? The Rav Sajagon certainly knew this Gemara. Um, the Ramban actually makes his own prediction. He's got a book called Sefer Hagaula, the book of redemption. The Ramban himself, Nachmanides, himself predicts the end um, uh, and gives, uh, gives uh, particular times. And in Source 9, he addresses this Gemara. He says, Vo'omer, he says, In Source 9, the second paragraph, he says um, the, 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 what they meant to say, They said to Rabbi Akiva, you're going to be pushing up daisies before Mashiach comes, meaning you're not going to, your prediction of Bar Kokhba is incorrect. The time of Chazal, they didn't want to, to reveal the times that they knew because I didn't want it to be a rifyod, a, a, a weakening for the, the masses. He says that's no longer relevant. Because why? We're living at that time where we're so close, says the Ramban, 800 years ago, by the way. That towards us. Many great sages wrote books on this. So it doesn't hurt if I'm going to throw in my, my, my card into the hat. That maybe my, my, what I could say is going to be logical and will help people in their emuna. The Ramban thereon goes to look through the Psukim of Daniel and work out one of the predictions that he says, which is fascinating. The Ramban is saying, yes, that was true in the times of the Gemara, when there was a long time to go. But we're now closer to that period of time, and it's going to actually be machazek emunah by suggesting the, the ends, which is fascinating if you think about this for a moment.
Let's just, let's just try to unpack this for, or just to understand this carefully. What the Ramban is, is ultimately saying is, is that we're so close, or potentially so close, that any time that there's a prediction, it could really come. Meaning to say that we'll, there, there, there's going to be a time, an aura, at particular years or particular periods, and that time is open. It's a, it, it's a portal of access. We could really get there. Who's it up to? <coughs> Us! Right? Meaning to say, let's go back to the Gemara. Hashem says, I'll bring it earlier. The Ramban says, there are going to be numerous people who are going to suggest good times to rush it. Right? There's going to be good times to really push for it. Because that it could come. It's not to take away, ah, it doesn't come and there's a long time to go. No, 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 no. It could have come. It could, it should, it would. Who's it up to? It's up to us. Hashem gave us the car keys. He says, if you want to, do, if you want to bring it, go for it. Drive straight through. That's what, we, that, that's what up to, uh, it's up to us communally. So the Ramban believes it's the opposite of what the Gomorrah is saying. In the times of the Gomorrah, when we had th- hundreds of years of God ahead of us, yeah, it's, that's a bad thing. That's going to be really a terrible time. But when we're close, we're really coming to this period of time when, it, when it's so much closer, so po- uh, the opportunities are so fruitful. Yes, we, we, do, we, do, we do talk about this. And, then, and throughout history, there have been many, many people who predicted it. Famously speaking, interestingly enough, the Vulnagon, there's a book called Kol Hator, attributed to the Vulnagon, no, no, no less. The Vulnagon, based on the Medrash of Parshish Noah as well, makes a prediction. Anybody aware of the, the, the prediction of the Vulnagon? Just out of interest. 1948. Interestingly enough. Yeah, so... It's a, it, it, you know, there's the, and we're going to discuss as to the different stages of Mashiach. But nonetheless, nonetheless, the, the, there, are, there are numerous, numerous times that throughout history where there's been predictions of Mashiach from the greatest sages of history. Vilnagon, no less, um, um, as to call, uh, call Hatar. Recently, interestingly enough, on a halakhic level, listen to this fascinating response that are about exactly this point. There was an individual a few years ago who was writing a luach, right? So, you know, we print the Jewish calendars. It's that time of year, folks. If you need the Jewish calendar, then now you can go to the bookstore and pick them up. We're, we're getting close to that, ta- that time of year. Shalom, Shalom um, usually gets my calendar for me, uh, for, for, for me, and this year I remember to get my own calendar. Baruch Hashem, the Ezra's Torah, um, and, uh, and uh, the, the preeminent Gabbai. Um, so, the, the, so what about the Luach? What about the Luach? So apparently, this, this is the question that arrived to Rav Vosna's doorstep, the Shevet the, the Shev Alevi. He was asked the following question in Source 11. So the Yotavshin Samach, 17 years ago, right? So he was asked, Sonia said, I'm, one, I'm writing introduction to the Luach of this year. So he says, look, if you read through Midrashim, one of the years was the year Tafshin Samach, right? That's the year 2000 and... 2000, right? Must have been, right? 2000, yeah, 2000, right? Y2K, right? Um, so, um, so should we put in the introduction of... That, that year of Tavshin Samach, a, a, in the introduction, this year Mashiach could come, right? That's pretty relevant, right? You should say Tachnon on, on this day, and you should uh, w- wait for Mashiach this year, right? So it's one of the indicators <coughs> in the Luach. That was what Rav Ozna was asked. Fascinating question, right? So Rav Ozna says, We don't deal with the hidden things in this world. It is, it is hidden from us. And we just saw this halacha. The Rambam himself says, don't. Don't work it out. We don't know how these things are going to be until they actually ha- 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 happen. 
Um, and at the end of the paragraph, Eliachakim v'yamin, um, and he says you should rather wait, wait for it. Um, and he says, ah, in the next paragraph, im kama v'kama gedoyle v'tzadikei adores polat pihem hakodosh ulkulmosam hakodosh remez v'remozim al zman biasam asherz in But you will tell me. That many other luachs have been printed beforehand via the, the holy squills of the great people throughout the generations. That was out of their great emunah that Hashem would reveal Himself at this time. He says, but we should know that the historical outcome of that was negative, says Rav Ozna. All those things led to bad things, especially in the year, the year Tach. What's the year Tach? Right? So that's the... Tach v'tach, right? In the years, in the years of the Chelmeniki, the Bolden Chelmeniki in, in Poland, where he brought upon, upon terrible pogroms when, re, when rebelling against the nobility and, of course, blaming the Jews, because, of course, we're always the nobility or the leech of society, whichever one they, the, the anti-Semites want to use at that particular time. And thousands, tens of thousands of Jews, some would say even hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed um, by, by, the, by the, the, uh, the Cossacks. Um, and he says, and, and people believe that maybe this is it. And there was terrible rifyon which was created because of this. Um, he says, uh, We shouldn't spend time getting on soapboxes to make people believe in things which is not necessarily healthy for them. It's going to create such depression that people are going to regress in their belief from this. So Rav Ozna still believes, he says, look, you're right. And the Ramban was correct. But at the end of the day, Lamaisa, it created historical problems. Right? So he says, therefore, we don't, we don't do, do, do this. He says, in the end of the day, he says, the last paragraph, we should always say Geula is going to come. We're not going to pull out our little, our little pointer and play, place it onto the dartboard with our, our eyes covered. Um, so, so that's what the, that, that's what the Rav. Uh, Rav Vosner says, which is kind of the end of a long history of this, and still there are many people who still point to the particular years, potential years where it could come. Um, but once again, any moment it could come. As we know throughout history, we talked about this a few years ago, there were many terrible, terrible um, times. We know, we know that, the, the, as an example, Shabtai Tzvi in Europe garnered incredible interest and, and mass support from the, the, the European Jews and the Jews under the Ottoman Empire, until the point where he actually converted to Islam, took a number of Jews in conversion with him and was killed. And people still believed him after him, afterwards. In numerous, uh, numerous families, 200 Jewish families converted to Islam with him when he said he was going Kabbalistically into the, da- the darker world to bring out the Nitzvot Sakadusha. Um, and, when he, and after he died, there were numerous false messiahs who followed in his footsteps who all said that they were his uh, pre, you know, reincarnation. Because remember, when Mashiachs die, the way it's usually described is that they went into his stalkus, that they went into hiding. Okay, so this is, unfortunately, when you hear those types of languages, that's a very dangerous description of Mashiach, because that's how they all went. All of, you know, you know Jesus went into hiding, too. 
right? And so uh, um, when it came to uh, Shabtai Tzi, he went into hiding, and in the generations following him, there were numerous volunteers who explained that they were his spirit who had returned in life and took away even more masses away from Judaism. So dangerous, dangerous stuff. And one of them was Jacob Frank, who really started the Christian church and pulled many Jews away from him. There were many, many bad messiah, bad messiahs who came throughout history. And by the way, it's lesser known because we know the Eastern European side of things, but it's lesser known how terrible they, the, and how dangerous the messiahs were in the uh, in the Ottoman or under the rule of Islam. Yemen, there were numerous, numerous false messiahs in Yemen throughout the generations. They corresponded to the Rambam earlier on about this. In the Igeris Teiman, they talked about what, this is one of the issues that he deals with. Um, uh, but it, but even in the, in the later days, only 200 years ago, there were false messiahs in Yemen and, uh, and Iran. Um, throughout, there were many, many false messiahs. And, um, and it really created a, l- a lot of havoc. You see, there's, there's, there's such a tension over here, if you can feel this. No, no comment right now, because uh, it's, it's far too big for, for the scope of what we're doing. I want to study theory rather than, than, uh, than apply to specifics today, because unfortunately it's a, it's a, it could be a little bit of a runaway train. Um, and that is, is, um, is that uh, if we, uh, just, but just to appreciate this, in the, the, this, this, this ikar over here, there's an incredible tension. You see what's happening over here? On the one hand, there's this, this vehement and there's this passionate waiting for any moment that Mashiach can come. And at the same time, there's, this, there's this, this check and balance of don't predict or don't force him to come. Do you see this? It's this, almost this, this, this balance of expectation versus patience, which is happening at the same time within this ikar. And, and, and it has accompanied us throughout history. And there's been times when we wanted to push it further. And there's times when we wanted to be more more passive about how Mashiach is going to come. Both of these exist in the in this in this Icar itself. Are these projections um, anchor trying to anchor the Achishena, or do you think the Atta is a moving target? Not clear. Not clear. Not clear. I think it's mostly Achishena. But even in the Atta itself is is uh, even the Atta itself is debatable today. That's what I think. But I, I imagine it's mostly Achishena. Um, now, just a few, a few basic questions. Will it be miraculous? Meaning, what's going to change? Mashiach is going to come. What will be what will be different? Answers the Rambam based on the Gomorrah, based on Shmuel in the Gomorrah and Sanhedrin. You know how much will be different? Zero. Except for the fact that we're going to have what's called Shibun Malchios. We're no longer going to have protests when we have security guards who kill assailants who are trying to kill them with screwdrivers. We're not going to have that anymore. We're not going to, not going to be able to have to take down metal detectors because we want to protect people from killing others. We're not going to be the laughing stock of the nations Every time there's a UN Security Council meeting where there are terrible crimes against humanity being perpetrated in every other country except for Israel, and Israel is the only country which is, which, which is focused upon. That's going to disappear. That's what's going to be, says the Ramam, in the end of days. We'll be able to live in a time where we don't have this, uh, this, this criticism. Where there won't be a one-sided world where we're going to be killed all the time, where we're going to be persecuted all the time, where people will use other terms to describe their Jew hate when we actually know what really is behind, behind, behind that very thin veil. Says the Rambam, why is that so important? We're going to actually look, get back to that in a moment. We have to think about why that's so important. However, the Rambam is not the only, is not the only opinion in, the, in this business. It happens to be the Rivad uh, says, oh, that doesn't make sense. The Rambam, the Rambam asks the, uh, the Rambam, he says, on the Rambam in source 17, he says um, in the middle of the source, Amar Avram, We learned about this a, few, a, little bit le- uh, a little bit earlier. Hashem says, I'm going to remove the wild animals. There's numerous prophecies in Yeshayahu, the garb is the Avim Keves, right? There's numerous uh, prophecies which the Rambam takes to be rational and metaphoric, 
where the where most of the Mepharshim, the Ramban, Rashi, Rivet, most of the, 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 the Rishonim say, no, no, it means it as it is. There's going to be a change in nature. There's going to be a change in the nature of the world. There's going to be a change in the nature of humanity, which is going to happen at the times of Mashiach. It's going to be altogether different. They say the story about one of the Kabbalists in Svat, and, and there was a, 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 a Shemua, there was a, you know, a news on the street that the Mashiach had come. And so the, his wife walks into his room and says, Mashiach has come. So he opens up the window and he sticks his head out and he says, no, Mashiach hasn't come. And he closes the window. He says, because I'll be able to sense in the air that Mashiach has come. It means that something's going to change dramatically. There's going to be a seismic sh- shift in the world at large by when Mashiach comes altogether. By the way, that tradition is more of the predominant in Jewish, in, in, in Jewish thought, that there's going to be an actual change. Nonetheless, there are, of course, the Rambam and, and, and Uda Ime and those in the Rambam's camp over much more of the opinion of Shmuel in the Gomorrah. And there's different tracks as to, as to how it will be. We will see how it will be when it will be. There could be different stages, some which are more natural, some which are less natural. This becomes part of the Zionist debate, naturally, right? Because there are those who say, it can't be Mashiach. We did it, right? It can't be Mashiach. We had an army. So they say, well, yeah, well, Shmuel said it would be natural. Right? So there's this, this debate is very, is very significant when trying to understand and trying in our, in our limited scope of perspective of history to try to appreciate what's going on around us. And this which leads us directly into the notion of multiple Mashiachs. So does that mean to say there was only one Mashiach? There's only one Mashiach? Are there different stages of Mashiach? How does this work? So, interestingly enough, there are, there are hints in the Gomorrah that there might be two Mashiachs. Because there's a Gemara in, in, in Masech Sukkah, which is talking about the end of days, and it's talking about a very enigmatic funeral. And, we don't know, and, and there's a lot of things we learn about this funeral that's, uh, that's going to happen at the end of days. And um, the question the Gemara has is, who's being buried? Okay, because that's a pretty important question when, when understanding what, what's happening at this funeral. One opinion is it's the Yetzirah. Is that, that, that one aspect of our inclination is going to be killed or removed at this point in time in history. And it's being buried at this, ta- at this period of time. And what, how does that change? Us. And that's, this relates to the notion of huma- human change. Um, the Gomorrah then brings another opinion in Source 21 and says, in Sukkadaf Nun Beis Amun Aleph, High speed of Maya Vidate. So, who's making this? High speed of Maya Vidate. Rabbi Doisa Rabbi Waron. Chad Omar Amashiach bin Yosef Sheneherag. One says, you know who the, the eulogy is going to be about? It's going to be about the Messiah, the son of Yosef. The Mashiach bin Yosef. Chad Omar. Al Yetzer Hora Shenehrag. That is, we'll say the Hesped is on the killed Yetzer Hora. Bishlam Alamanta Omar Meshap in Yosef Shenehrag. Hainu Dixivi Bitu Elai. Esasher Dokru Vesiptu Osok. Misbed Al Hayachir. And he quotes a passage which indicates that there might be this notion that the Meshach will be killed. So this is an interesting idea. So the, the Gomorrah here hints, and this is again, the Gomorrah is not telling us about it. It's conversing about something else and mentions, by the way, that there's this notion of Mashiach which is killed. And who's this Mashiach? Not the Mashiach, but Mashiach ben Yosef, which indicates that there's another Mashiach, which would indicate that it's Mashiach ben David. Because remember, the Ram told us the Mashiach who's going to bring the, king, the kingship of Hashem back into this world is going to be the children of, the scion of David, right? So this is the, already we start seeing these things. And by the way, these are hinted at in, you know, very surreptitiously. They're not, no, no Gomorrah goes out of its way to describe specifically as to what it's going to look like or who it's going to be on the different stages. This is, a, this is a kind of like peeking through the latticework. As, an, as, as another example, this is, this is a very, very interesting description over here, which is very hard to get hold of. In Source 22, the top of page 9. This is from the Ginzei HaRamchal. We talked about the Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim the last few weeks. 
and he had numerous writings. This is from the Ginze Haramchal, the hidden writings of Rabbi Shechai Nutzato, and he has a section which is called Tikkun Hapnimios Vachitsonios, the fixing of the inner and outer worlds. And he describes in great depth in the first paragraph over here how in the state of Eden, in the state of Gan Eden, where there was a pristine relationship of humanity, there was the Pnimius and the Chitsonius. There were, there were two levels, which, there were two levels of existence which, which correlated to one another. Those two levels of existence were actually in tandem and worked, in a, there was a certain equilibrium. When humanity sinned, which related to the two trees, and when humanity sinned, what happened was is that they essentially destroyed or dented the chitzonios, right? The, the, the external level of self. Um, which means to say that today, just, as an, just, just to view this um, in, in, in specifics, I remember our Tats describing this as in a very clear way. In, in the times of Gan Eden, the first person description would be, who's the I? I would be my spiritual persona. That's who I identify with. Today, it's not the case. So, like, you know, if you think about this for a moment, you know, let's say you're on a diet. And, um, you know, the day after you start the diet, you know, is um, a special party, and there's this beautiful chocolate cake, and chocolate cake is your favorite thing in the world. And um, so you say, you know, I really, you know, I really don't think it'll be a problem if I have just one slice. And then there's this voice in the back of your head which says, really, you shouldn't, you, you know, you should, you know, you just, it's just been one day, you should really hold off. Right? That's the kind of conversation that happens whether subconsciously or consciously. Now, notice the pronouns. Isn't it interesting? I want that cake. You should really stop. Who's talking to who? Right? Right? Do you, isn't it interesting? When we talk about what we want, it's I. When we talk about what we should, it's you. Do you see what's happened? Meaning, the voice of reason is external to us, ultimately. Right? It's talking to us from the outside. Right? That's maybe why it has so much reason. But ultimately, that, that, if you think about that, but if you think about that, that isn't it interesting? Our identity, our self-identification is... The, the eye that wants the chocolate cake, the eye that wants something else, which is physical. That's been the seismic shift which has occurred in the, in the human psyche. That's what the, the Ramchal says. And he says, in order to fix that, we need to get back to a stage of existence which is going to be where we re-enter the Gan Eden stage. So if we think about this in terms of the world plan, just like to think about this as a, as a, as a sort of a graph. You know, there's Gan Eden, where there's pristine existence, where things are pretty much equal and we have to still have to make decisions. It's still Bechir Chavshes. We make a bad decision, which drops us into what's called option B of creation. And that's going to continue throughout all of creation until a point where we can fix that, return to stage A in creation, which is the Yomos HaMashiach, and so we can enter into the next, the next part of the world. Right? I mean, so we can't, we're not going to get, the, we're not going to get into the next world just where we are. We need to first get back to stage A to get back into Olam Haba. That's the, way, that's the way it's understood by the Ramchal. Which means that we need to fix up the Chitsonios first. Which means that it's the external which needs to be fixed. He says there's two people, there's two Mashiachim for a very simple reason because they are corresponding to the two levels of preparation necessary to bring Mashiach to get back into Gan Eden. That's what he says, just if you take a look, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in the end of the first paragraph, four lines from the end of the first paragraph, and um, there's a little period, and he says, The, the, the Mashiach ben Yosef is the left hand, the, in a certain sense, you know, we'll call it metaphorically, the weaker. Who needs to first to fix, uh, fix appropriate, appropriately the external schema in order to be able to get into the next stage. Mashiach ben David, who besoid Then there's the Mashiach ben David who comes afterwards, who's on the stronger side. The right. 
Mishaber Elov, which is connected to the Mishaber Ben Yosef, and then the, the, the redemption will be pure. And this is what it means in the Pasuk, that his rest will be in honor. Now think about this for a quick second. That means to say that there's going to necessarily be, necessarily be an external correction of the world and an internal correction of the world, and they're going to move in two stages, one after the other. Just to appreciate this in, in clear, clearer definition, Rav Cook, Rav Avram Yisaka Kohen Cook, gave a famous speech, which, I, which we, we've learned together a number of times, in the year 1904. He came to Israel. He came, moved from Europe into to Israel in the year 1903, if I'm not mistaken, and became the chief rabbi of the city of Yaffa, in the news yesterday, unfortunately. And um, Rav, um, Rav Cook um, became the chief rabbi, and a few months later, um, the, the founder of the Zionist movement, Theodore Herzl, died, passed away. And nobody from the religious camp was touching that with a barge pole, right? Nobody wanted to get involved in Theodore Herzl because the people that he had garnered around him in general were at best secular and at worst anti-religious. And the Zionist congresses were not religious, um, were not religious bastions of, um, of hope. And so Rav Cook came to Yerushalayim and he gave the famous Hesped Yerushalayim, which is codified in his books and written down. And he says the most remarkable thing. He believes, in fact, and he says it pretty explicitly there, that the Zionist, secular Zionist movement is the prerequisite to the ultimate Mashiach, which means to say that he believes, and he says this, that the Mashiach ben Yosef, or the movement of Yosef, is the Zionist movement itself, which itself is devoid of all internal. It's, make no mistake, it's bad in, a certain, in many ways. It's anti-religious. It does terrible things to religion. But it's the necessary prerequisite, says Rav Kook, of Mashiach ben Yosef. That's the platform on which Mashiach ben, ben David is built. That's where the Torah is infused into the state created by those who created a devoid of that. That's how you've used the two, the two states in history. The northern state of Ephraim, of Yosef, and the southern state of Yehuda. And how the two could have worked, and the failure of the northern state of um, Israel history. The children of Leah and the children of Rachel. Yosef and Yehuda, the two kings. This is how we've used all of history. So there are two stages of Mashiach, and, uh, um, and Zeram Chal says, and remember, he's not talking, he hasn't seen this happen. We've seen it unfolding in front of our eyes, miraculously, that we're living through uh, such a time. Um, Ashrenu. Why is this belief so important? So say, let's let's clo close with this. Ram tells us, Ram tells us again in Hilchas Melachim Perikud Beis, very importantly. He says, Loinis Avu Hachachamim, the bottom of page nine. Loinis Avu Hachachamim Venevanavim Yomasa Mashiach. Why is it that everybody desired the times of Mashiach so much? Not because Jews want dominion and control over the whole world. Not because we want to control those who are idol worshippers. Not that we should get uh, benefit from the, the, the other nations. And not for the great feasts. You know what the reason why we have the Moshe Mashiach is for? Moshe Mashiach is still in the confines of Olam Azeh. We're still in this world. The Ramam, in his opinion, understands, of course, it's only shifted in the sense that we're relaxed. We don't have to fight for existence the entire time. So why do we have that period? Because in Olam Azeh, what's the tough kid of Olam Azeh, as we talked about last week, is to accrue enough merit, is to fix this world sufficiently and fix ourselves in the process in order to be able to access the world afterwards. But it's really hard. It's really hard. This world has given us a run for our money. And many times we've lost it. 
says the Ram, there's going to be a time in history that we pray for where it'll be easier to do our job. And we're going to still be living in this prosdor. We're still living in the hallway. But it'll be easier. There'll be less suffering. There'll be less persecution. There'll be less crises. So we're able to do our jobs in a pristine environment to be able to uh, serve God. That's why we yearn for it. Not for all the fancy things. You know, a lot of, a lot of people believe that Mashiach is Italian because he's going to take care of all of, the, all of his enemies, right? That's not Mashiach. Mashiach is about a time where it's going to be that Mashiach is going to allow us to do what we're supposed to be doing. To allow us to get back to the stage of creation where in fact we're in the stage of Gan Eden before the Chait. Where our choices are simpler, our existence is simpler, and we can make the choice right once again. They say, that, they say about the Chavetz Chaim that um, the, Rav, the Chavetz Chaim of course was a Kohen. And um, he wrote halachas about, uh, on Zvachim and Menachas. He wrote a pirush on Zvachim and Menachas. He believed that the Mashiach would be coming and he wanted us to all be ready, especially himself. He tells a story about a young boy who comes to visit the Chavetz Chaim. Famous story. The Chavetz Chaim, and the young boy comes in and the Chavetz Chaim says to him, he says, um, are you a Kohen? And the boy says, no. So he says, why are you not a Kohen? Sounds like a joke, but it, wasn't, it wouldn't be so funny if you were the eight-year-old. He was in front of the Chavetz Chaim. And, uh, and the, the, boy said, the boy says, he says, well, my tati is not a, uh, is not a, is not a Kohen. So he says, why was your father not a Kohen? So we can imagine how uncomfortable the boy is feeling now. So my, his, his father also wasn't a Kohen. So the Chavetz Chaim says, well, you know, I want to tell you why your grandfather wasn't a Kohen. He says, because many years ago, there was a time in, um, in, the, in the history of Klal Yisrael where, got, where the Bnei Yisrael did a terrible thing. Where Bnei Yisrael sinned at the Chet Egel, And it was a terrible moment in Israel. There was a division, there was disunity, there was a discord. And, I, and Moshe Rabbeinu came to the, camp of the, 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 the gate of the camp and he cried out the words, Mila Hashem Eli, who is with me to God? And he says, you know, my great-great-grandfather listened to that call and yours didn't. He says, that's, that's, that's why you're not a Kohen. He says, make sure the next time you hear that call, you answer it. Make sure that you're listening the next time you hear the words, Mila Hashem Eli. They say, and this is not an apocryphal story, because we know the granddaughter of that boy. That boy was Rav Shimon Schwab, who comes to visit the Chavetz Chaim. And the children and the grandchildren of Rav Shimon Schwab will tell you that Rav Shimon Schwab lived his entire life with a small suitcase packed in his hallway, waiting for the call. And although he didn't merit it, he davened for it. And the reason that we're close is because of his davening for it, and the Chavetz Chaim is davening for it. And the centuries and generations of people who died and, and lived and prayed for Mashiach. We should all remember to have that suitcase in the hall, because when we hear the call once again, let's answer it. Amen. <laughs>